know what that means? Everything. Anglo-thieves. Gettle's gone. Oh my god, you people have just failed me. Failed me utterly. Congratulations, Scotland. We have just gone full I hear an awful lot of judgment in your voice. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 59 of Anglophies, in which we are tubing your use. That kind of got away from me. <laughs> Thumbs down. Thumbs down. Yeah, no, that wasn't good. <laughs> Hi, I'm Raiden. I'm Alina. And I'm Kaylee. <laughs> And uh, there's a site. It's pretty new. Maybe you haven't heard of it. It's called YouTube. And people upload videos of things. So we're going to talk about some of the stuff that people upload. It's a very new site. You probably haven't heard of it. You probably haven't heard of it. (laughs) So we haven't really had an episode on YouTube content. We touched on it a little bit when we did our Austin adaptations. And quite a few of them were YouTube shows. But that's about as much as we had on, you know, YouTube used for not just your cat home videos. But also for that. Also for that. The site that single-handedly put America's Funniest Home Video out of business. Basically, yeah. It's still on the air, though. Yeah, but nobody talks about it. It's no longer, like, Sunday family viewing. No, but repeats of it still get higher ratings than Megyn Kelly's show. That's understandable. Okay, but, like... (laughs) See, the repits are so old that those things aren't on YouTube. Where else would you get them? Yeah. Imagine when you had to go to TV for your funniest cat videos. Or you had to find a real cat. (laughs) Oh, God. Oh, God. My cat fell off a table this week. It was great. Yeah, we don't so much have a plan. Although, I say the content, it probably can, you know, there's way to section out the content there's the kind of the rise recently of youtube shows like actual scripted fictional shows that use youtube as their delivery platform um and then we have kind of the 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 new learning hub you have all these like popular science type channels Mm -hmm. there's a whole review industry that's now sprung up probably entirely thanks to having this easy way to to reach an audience yeah. And then there are the YouTube kids that I don't understand. <laughs> Kaylee, you're the youngest of us. You need to explain this. I feel like I'm still too old to explain this. So we just like the, the average YouTube user is young, like 13, 14 young. So there's this whole generation of kids that have grown up watching YouTube and Vine when that was around and Instagram and stuff pretty much for as long as they've been alive. There are a lot of parents who have just dumped their kids in front of a laptop and like, look, let this person tell you a story instead of me. So that's their unit of celebrity now. So there were studies that showed that, um, you know, the average teenager now cares more about their favorite YouTube celebrities than they do about like the big Hollywood A-listers. 
So it's created this really fan, if you know, fascinating ecosystem on that aspect because you have people who can, you know, turn on their webcam or turn on their camera and do something that is as simple as play video games or put on makeup or like show stuff that they've bought. I don't get that. That that's really weird to me. Uh, and then not only make money out of it, but become wildly famous in a way that is really kind of hard to discuss if you are old and crusty like us. Cause like, you know, we, 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 we um, like what happened to VidCon this year? Mm-hmm. Like trying to explain VidCon to someone who doesn't know about the, the really weird intertwining, increasingly fragile ecosystem of YouTube fame, celebrity corporatization, um, money making, that kind of thing is impossible. You just sound like you're, you know, you get increasingly ridiculous as you talk about it. But this is now how it's how it's done. Like every celebrity has to have someone at least running a Twitter account for them. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be big now, your option used to be, you know, well, maybe you can go to drama school or maybe you can take singing lessons or maybe you can start writing. And now it's, you know, what do you have to say on YouTube? And I think that interesting, like the, the, the basic abstract idea of things like YouTube or writing websites or social media or stuff is the democratization of entertainment like what we're doing right now a podcast is part mm-hmm. of that because anyone can do a podcast you know, <laughs> proof, exhibit, a. Proof. <laughs> <laughs> exhibit a but you know that basic idea of you feel like you've got something to say and you can say it well and you are smart enough to treat this hobby like a business you know like if we probably sat down and like really tightened up shit we could probably get like positive america numbers sure why not right mm-hmm. but there are people who do that now as a for a living on YouTube, and a lot of them are young, or you know, like 17, 18 years old, and they don't have to adhere to things like child labor laws. So, if you are a child actor and you're working in like the state of Georgia, where I believe Stranger Things is filmed, you could only work a certain amount of hours a day. You've got to have a tutor on set that you have to work with a certain amount of hours a day, and you have to have a parent with you until you're 18. If you're a kid who gets famous on YouTube for like, I don't know, putting on makeup or singing or something like that, it's the Wild West. Mm-hmm. And because the gap between quote unquote real life and the internet is so liminal now, that's really hard to control at any age. Like, I can still get some shitty comments on Twitter at 27 and it pisses me off. Can you imagine being 14 and having a bunch of people like calling you a cunt? Yeah. So I, that all of that makes me really sort of very concerned for a lot of these kids. I mean, look at someone like Justin Bieber in that aspect. Like the reason Justin Bieber is famous is because of YouTube, which mm-hmm. everyone kind of forgets. His life is totally different now in a way that's probably been very beneficial. He's very rich and very famous, but there's absolutely no control in place there. And I think stuff like YouTube kind of fosters that. And Instagram, I think, is even worse actually. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say it's quite the cesspool that Twitter is, but I think Instagram has a very specific kind of aesthetic that can breed very insidious kind of ideas, if that makes any sense. Because mm-hmm. it's all visual. Like, you know, every Instagram celebrity, like every female Instagram celebrity looks the same. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something like that. that YouTube is quite like that too. 
You know, they're all very pretty, very dainty white women, aged between about 16 and 28, maybe. They all do their makeup the same. They all talk the same. They all do, like, the voice. Mm-hmm. You know, like, hey, guys, I'm hearing, like, you like, subscribe in the comments. Oh, my God. Like, they all talk like kids, and it's really strange. Because I was watching, I was looking at possibly writing an article on some some of the British YouTube celebrities. Mm-hmm. And I was watching videos of Zoella, who is the biggest YouTuber in the UK, and she's my age. You know, we're the same age. She is a millionaire. She has a huge house. She has a boyfriend who's also a YouTube star. She has a very successful business. And in all of her videos, she talks like a 14-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that has been, if like a PR advisor or a publicist or a marketer or something has sat her down and said, okay, your average fan is a 13-year-old girl who thinks that you're her big sister. You need to work with that. And I wonder what it's like to get trapped with that. Because you see that on YouTube as well. You see the people who have been doing this for a while now, you know, who've been doing it for decades in terms of internet time, who try to do something new and people revolt. So you get stuck in your kind of, you know, your little niche, this really smothering niche, but because it's made you famous, you can't leave it. So I wonder what it's like to have that happen to you when you're like a 16-year-old girl. One of the, I think, famous examples, this wasn't a 16-year-old girl, but in high profile that I can think of that I personally experienced, and this isn't, this kind of moved off YouTube, but uh, one nostalgia critic yeah. tried to actually shut down his show, and his replacement lasted three months, maybe? And he had to go back. It just wasn't what people wanted to watch. And in the end, he had to go where the money was. This was his livelihood at that point. Mm-hmm. But I imagine what that must be like as well if for someone who is so young. There was an example. There's another YouTuber called Louise Pentland who's in her 30s. So she has a different kind of case. But her previous show was very young and glittery and kind of, you know, like the cool big sister who wears a lot of pastels and is obsessed with unicorns and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And she just put up a blog post saying, I can't do this anymore. I want to talk like an adult and talk about what it's like to be, you know, a mother and having to pay bills and actually living my life. I don't want to have to constantly try and sanitize my life to sell it to people. So she did change. And I think it's been successful for her. But, you know, that must be a lot easier to do in your 30s than it is when you're still a kid. Right. I mean, it's the, as you get older, you have fewer and fewer fucks to give. <laughs> But I mean, if this is this is your actual job, the, your fucks when you're older are kind of tied to the money you have <laughs> to yeah. pay the yeah. bills. We should also state that being a YouTube celebrity, the, the money's not in the views. No. Like, it takes millions and millions and millions of views for you to start making, like, like big money. But everyone has the idea. It's kind of like, now that I get paid to write things, there are still people who have this idea that I'm like J.K. Rowling money. <laughs> like I wish that'd like, be no, nice. This is that would be very nice. But the vast, vast majority of people who write about pop culture and Batman on the internet not making that kind of money. No. And it's the same for YouTube. Like the average YouTubers probably even like the bigger names are getting what maybe fifteen, twenty thousand views a video. That is going to be like eight dollars. But we have Patreon now, which is like this weird little supplement. To all the platforms, but I imagine YouTube specifically because it if your Patreon is successful, if you already had an audience, then suddenly you had this vehicle for the delivery of money directly to you that you could bypass, you know, putting ads on your videos and such. But you're still using YouTube as your platform. 
There is that option, certainly. I mean, we've seen people like like Jim Sterling, who does the Jimquisition, oh, yes. has no ads on his videos because he makes a fuck ton off of Patreon. He's doing really well out of it. A lot of people are doing very well out of Patreon, and I'm glad that that exists because I think having a direct like relationship with the people who want to watch your videos, it may not be a lot of people, but if there's someone who likes you enough to put down a dollar a week or whatever, you know, right? That you know, every penny counts. Um, but like someone like even the massive stars, most of their money's not YouTube. Look at someone like PewDiePie. Um, like Ugh. his money's not. He's getting probably more money off of YouTube than anyone just because he is the biggest name. But his money is coming from appearance fees. It's coming from sponsorship. It's coming from ads in like in the video, him like plugging stuff that he's been, you know, he's doing sponsored content with. That's where that his money's coming right. from. Or. Or Zoella, who has a line of beauty products that you can buy in one of the chemists here. Or a number of the British YouTubers do, like, TV and radio. You know, you have to do stuff like that. And then that makes it, I think, more complicated. Because what happens if you've reached that kind of level, but you basically don't have anyone to monitor what's happening on YouTube? Because I think that's what happened with PewDiePie. Like, he had that deal with Maker Studios and Disney and all that stuff. I don't think anyone at Disney was actually watching his videos. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, there was no one to step in and say, so, like, all this stuff about death to the Jews, uh, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> Which, like, you know, what, well, fuck him. And he was like, oh, I'm not going to tell jokes about, you know, the, the Nazis and stuff anymore after Charlottesville. Oh, give him a fucking medal. Well done. A hero comes along with the strength to carry on. <laughs> Screw that. <laughs> but I wonder what that's like as well when you're young and there's a lot of pressure riding on you to make this money or to keep this level of fame, and you have to put out content all the time to just keep that up. Yeah. Uh, unless you're someone like Every Frame of Painting who can put out like one video a year, but then you know the, the the videos are good enough that he can do that. But if you're like trying to keep up that level of qu- quality and content week after week after week, with everyone telling you that you're wonderful and you're so special and you're making all this money and you, you probably get the child star syndrome a little bit there. So what mm-hmm. happens when you f- and then everyone suddenly starts caring what you say? Uh-huh. And I should say, like, there's a difference between us, you know, slipping up accidentally or letting the pressure get to you, whatever, and doing what PewDiePie did. Yeah. Like, that wasn't a fuck-up. That was just him being a dick. Like, a bigoted dick. So that's always kind of, all of that just kind of fascinates and scares me because like i'm constantly worried for child stars anyway (laughs) like historically speaking child stars have a really bad run of it yeah uh because i was thinking about this with millie bobby brown who's in stranger things who's basically talked about the fact that you know she was the prime breadwinner in the family and she basically now employs her family to look after her and She's been talking about how exhausted she's been doing all these conventions and all of this pressure and stuff. But, like, you know, we've seen how that rodeo plays out. So imagine that happening without child labor laws in place. Right. That was a really bleak moment, wasn't it? It's not all the really promise. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's just, it's interesting, like, to think about that YouTube really is, like, the statistics that say that its audience skews so young because. In today's media, there's always the stereotype that the kid you have to go to the next hot thing where the kids are, you know, if you're not on Snapchat, mm-hmm. then you're behind the kids and they've moved off Snapchat by now and they're doing something else. <laughs> Whereas 
apparently like in a quiet way, like, yeah, maybe there's all these new technologies, but it all goes back to YouTube's been around. I should have looked up its founding date like before <laughs> we started, but it's probably not 20 years old yet, but close. No, not even. Not I'm going to guess 2000. 2005, so 12 years old. Four? Yeah. Five? Yeah. Oh, God. That was 12 years ago? Second, I'm having a moment. Remember when the only videos you could watch were, like, flash animations of Badger, 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 Badger? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Homestar Runner. Who remembers Homestar Runner? People had to have, like, their own sites, and you had the albino black sheep. Oh, I remember that. Right. Oh, my sister was so into that site. (laughs) Right. Or we had the end of the world where the French are the tired. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, One of my best moments. That's less funny now. I remember the lions in Kenya and I've seen (laughs) things. I've seen things. I've seen things. Old flash animation. That must be, like, that's a whole universe away now. I mean, like, oh, yeah. there are ki- there are people turning into adults now that were born in this century. I know. Let's not go there. Yeah. Well, my <laughs> friend, I have a friend who has, well, she has a whole bunch of kids. Um, but the, the one in this particular story is one of her six-year-old twins, who she was trying to explain to him that when she when she was a kid, they didn't have youtube or anything like that or streaming and he was like so what was the tv for <gasps> and oh, like, oh i felt that i felt that. yeah oh. Oh, <laughs> and no. she's like there were trying to explain to a six-year-old about broadcast <laughs> not, did not work out so well and then he thought about this a minute and went so, well, couldn't you just Google stuff? Oh, no. Oh, a whole new world. <laughs> and we were like, oh, pumpkin. Okay. Do you, what was your guys' search engine of choice before Google was a thing? Ask Jeeves. This was awesome. See, I didn't get a computer in our house until 2005, so it was always okay. Google. I think huh. mine was Alta Vista. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know. Just, uh, I, know. I, I also used Yahoo. Um, oh, Yahoo was the new hotness when I started college. But, yeah. My, my, my poor, confused husband is wandering around just remembering old, the old Wild West of the internet. He's like, do you remember Netscape? Yeah. 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 <laughs> because... Netscape. If you were bad at the internet, you said to explore. If you knew what's up, you used Netscape. Use Netscape, exactly. <laughs> I just feel like we've fallen down a very strange hole now. I feel like we're in the Matrix. <laughs> like oh, the really, really bad. Remember GeoCities? Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Angel <laughs> oh. Fire. The Angel Fire website. Oh, God. We, we've yeah, kind of gone back, back in time. Back when you had to hunt for your fan fiction. <laughs> Very, very carefully, and it was sort of scattered all over. And yeah, oh, good times. Listen, children, before YouTube and Patreon, we couldn't make money off this shit. We made GeoCities fan sites for Insync and the Backstreet Boys. 
Yep. And, and every so and, you know, do you know, children, children, do you know what some of those sites did? They auto played MIDI music. Oh, my sites did that so much. Yep. <laughs> you know what? The sad thing is, there's a whole generation of kids who won't even know what Live Journal is. Other than the thing that was that's joined on to, oh no, they didn't. <laughs> R.I.P. L.J. You had a good run. The Russian spam bots have taken you over. Yeah. Oh, so. now I now I feel even older. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're a lot younger than the other the two of us, so shut up. Well, I just <laughs> found out what Vine is. Okay. Like a I knew what it that was, party. but I didn't know. You know. There were a couple of Viners I really liked, but they're both on YouTube now, so... Mm-hmm. What's weirder, Vine celebrity or YouTube celebrity? I feel like Vine celebrity sort of took a little bit more... I, I hesitate to say effort, because like saying saying that implies that there is no effort involved in being a YouTube celebrity. And I feel like that's not really true. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Vine re- required a special kind of creativity, like the ability yeah. to make that six seconds matter. Yeah, you know there was an ingenuity to it, mm. and you know what? it is a lot harder to um, film, you know, anti-female Ghostbusters manifestos on Vine. So I will give it to that credit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of that, like, I mean, finding out people were getting famous off a of Vine was very strange to me. I just had a YouTube memory. Mm? Do you remember when Old Spice had that feud between Fabio and the, the Oh, I had to recap that. <laughs> Do you remember that amazing, you say you're not a shiny time in our lives? I don't say that. I mean, I'm not a journalist, not really. I just say things. And people let me. Oh, that was precious. Yeah, it was amazing. It was a good time. So good. And YouTube made it possible. Yeah. Because here's the thing about YouTube. This is something I was thinking about uh, back when we went uh, to the conversation about, you know, what if they, they try to change and then they don't succeed. Unlike a TV show, YouTube has near instant ability to respond to its viewership. With all the pitfalls that do and don't come with that, and, and like the pros and cons of that, because a TV show, like a season, can go in a completely different direction, and then the viewers abandon it, but like that's the season's already filmed. But I also feel like on the flip side, people who watch still TV, they understand that it takes a while to respond to their concerns, so often they'll give it time to to say, like, well, we'll see if they course correct in the next season after, you know, seeing the comments we put out on the internet or if we write letters to the, you know, to the the station, to the production company. Whereas Mm -hmm. on YouTube, so the YouTuber tries something new, um, the content creator tries to change their content, and they'll see that reaction right away. And honestly, unlike a big studio production company, like, their bottom line can't handle that reaction. That's why they course correct almost immediately. And it's, you know, it's entirely possible that some of those new ideas would have actually found their home. But it's really scary when you real-time see your subscriber numbers, your likes, comments, and subscribes going down. Mm-hmm. And you can do something right away because you can film, you can scrap whatever's on your, you know, your MacBook Pro, film, refilm the next episode, and suddenly you're back to where you were. 
But I think that can also foster some uh, some reactionary tendencies. Uh, I'm thinking of Lacey Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mm-hmm. for those lucky enough not to know who Lacey Green is, Lacey Green used to actually be a sex education specialist on YouTube, and she was pretty good. Like, she talked very honestly and very openly and, you know, empathetically about sex and looking after yourself and doing it properly and doing it safely. And then a few months ago, she suddenly turned um, alt-right. Mm-hmm. Her boyfriend is an alt-righter. It's not all his fault. I think she's capable of this shittiness herself. Uh, but now she is palling around with people who used to threaten to kill her because, oh, well, I'm enti- I think everyone should have free speech. And now she's sucking up to transphobic, homophobic, misogynistic, racist arseholes and basically now surrounding herself with the same people who less than a year ago all wanted her dead. And it's done well for her page view numbers because now she just gets 4chan and Reddit to rally around her. It's the same reason you see a lot of these dicks like, oh, Anita Sarkeesian has such a victimhood complex and is making money off of pretending to be a victim. Donate now to my Patreon where you can find a full six-hour video on this topic. Yeah. That one was especially... It wasn't even that I was necessarily a fan of hers. Mm-hmm. But, like, to see that happen... And I think she's doing it for the, the views and the money. Like, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be honest, I think in about two years' time, if that, she'll come crawling back and she'll do, like, a really weepy video where she talks about all the mistakes that she's made and all the people that have hurt her and, you know, mm-hmm. how she's so sorry and then she'll wait around for, you know, like, Megan Kelly to interview her or something, assuming Megan Kelly still has a career. <sighs> But I think you see a lot of that on YouTube. I mean, how many people got famous by latching themselves onto hate movements? Like, mm-hmm. how many people made their names by going after Anita Sarkeesian and Zoe Quinn and Brianna Wu and all of the women that were targeted by Gamergate? Yeah. And I think that YouTube is as bad as Twitter is in this aspect. Twitter has absolutely no interest in dealing with its toxic harassment problem. Like, there are a lot of Nazis on Twitter, and Twitter doesn't give a fuck. And I think YouTube is on that kind of level of, they're so panicky and worried about the idea that, oh, we'll be accused of censorship if we shut down people who are blatantly breaking the guidelines that we wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I do recommend, if you don't already have the H-Bomber guy block on your YouTube account, to download it from the Chrome store, or wherever you can get stuff for your desktop. It basically immediately blocks all of the misogynistic MRA arseholes from ever appearing in your YouTube recommendations. That's handy. Because one of the problems of YouTube is you can watch a video on anything and YouTube will immediately recommend a video of some misogynistic douchebag telling you why that thing is bad because feminism. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to watch videos of Hannibal and I got all these fucking recommendations about how it's an evil feminist takeover of the Hannibal Lecter series. And I was like, well, yes, it is, but I don't need to see your video of it. (laughs) And it's better for it, okay? But even something was the one that happened to me. It's like... I think I watched a trailer for, like, a Disney movie or something. No, I watched a trailer for Moana, when Moana before Moana came out. Mm-hmm. And it was instantly recommended with, like, how this was part of the SJW takeover of Disney. It's like, no, Disney just like money, and they know that diversity gets them money. But, you know, Christ, what is wrong with you people? Yeah. <sighs> God. Staying on topic of problems of YouTube... <laughs> And another one we could bring up uh, specifically with uh, if you want to use it both as a viewer or as a, as a content creator is 
the thing about, you know, fair use provisions and videos that get taken down and how corporations just have kind of automatic trolling programs, you know, they hear the, the music company will hear like the strains of their song mm-hmm. and the video gets flagged and YouTube takes them down automatically. And then there's the strike systems. It's really complicated. I'll probably link maybe to Nostalgia Critics, Where's the Fair Use? I remember watching that and finding it pretty well explained. I believe I have, there was that famous, famous case I remember of, I think, Universal Music taking down like a mom's home video of her son dancing. Mm-hmm. To that a, was a like famous the famous song. video, yeah. Yeah. But what it does is like, I'm not saying that, okay, I understand that YouTube exists in this kind of murky, legally nebulous line of, well, if you're a content creator and you're maybe like making some money, maybe it's off Patreon or like, you know, the cents on the ads, but you, instead of uh, picking public domain music, you pick like a song to play in the background. And where's the fair use? Can you play the whole song even if you're talking over it so nobody can really listen to it like for free? But you're still like making money off somebody else's work if you do it. What if you just have a five second clip because it's funny, you know, in, in matching something you did? Like there's that whole... And where does that leave, for example, music reviewers? Is music review a fair use? Or a movie review, for that matter. The law isn't really prepared so much to answer these questions. I mean, fair use provisions, I feel like, answer a lot of them. But the problem is corporations have have all the money. And private, like, the three of us, if somebody tried to, like, send us a cease and desist letter or, or you know, tell us you can't use, like, a certain clip. Like, when I used um, clips of Sherlock opening themes in our Sherlock episode. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it actually falls out to fair use. I was fairly certain that we're too small a fry for anybody to notice. Right. But if somebody did, yeah, I'd edit them out. I can't fight them in court. Right. Well, in just sort of the broader sense, the law is never prepared to handle whatever new shit the world throws at it. Like, ever. That's life at this point. It's very annoying. That really doesn't help anything, but it's kind of where we are. I mean, it's a deliberately kind of flexible law that benefits one side a lot more than the other, isn't it? Especially yeah. in the case of YouTube. Because, you know, YouTube can talk all at once about how much it respects its users and is really proud to be this platform for great creators. But, you know, if it was to decide between all of those creators and, like, housing all the Taylor Swift videos, you know who they'd go with. Oh, yeah. But here's the interesting part. I remember when I, um, you know, read up on it and watched videos explaining, I actually feel like it's not so much the law as Google's, because Google owns YouTube in this case, implementation. Because if I understand correctly, the law is actually on the side of the, the, so the company claiming infringement has to prove that, you know, it was infringement and wasn't fair use. But YouTube doesn't, in, in its like three strikes system, it doesn't act that way. Universal Music does not have to prove to YouTube that the video they're flagging infringed on their copyright and doesn't follow fair use. Instead, they will just submit a report and YouTube will automatically strike the video. And then the person who made that content has to be the one to take on the risk. In this case, you know, all the, the cuddly, friendly, oh, it's just a place to watch fun cat videos kind of goes away because they are very corporate and and stiflingly so when it comes to this particular aspect. Yeah, Mark Mark Oshiro had an issue when he was 
started doing the videos of him watching particular shows because if you could hear the show as he was watching it so you would know what he was reacting to then those were too long to host on YouTube I think they were originally on Vin- Vimeo Venmo Vin- something another service Vimeo? And, oh Vimeo probably yeah um, and they were taken down due to copyright violations, so he ended up having to host them on his own server, which is, like, I think a big chunk of what his Patreon pays for is just his server space at this point. Well, that also raises another question is, how much does it cost to run YouTube? Mm-hmm. Is that Does YouTube make a profit as a site? Do we know? I, I've never thought about it. Because I would imagine it's very hard to find out now that they're part of Google, because Google can just hide that, those numbers probably, like, in their larger conglomerate, right? Right. Okay, so apparently YouTube is rising in revenue, but it doesn't actually make Google any money yet. Okay. So it's kind of like the Netflix situation. Mm-hmm. Where Netflix are bringing in users and they are bringing in revenue, but they are in so much debt to pay for all the stuff that brings in everyone. So that it's it's going to be a long term market situation, and I think YouTube have a benefit over someone like like no one is going to go to Daily Motion to watch all of their videos. You know, mm-hmm. you go to Daily Motion to watch like occasionally like dramas from different countries <laughs> that's yeah. uploaded there. If I'm being honest, mm-hmm. um, so they don't like le- realistically speaking. Then YouTube should wouldn't have to do anything because their response would just say well, where the fuck are you going to go right mm-hmm. you know i mean the moment twitter gets like a real someone makes a real comp- um, competition to twitter everyone's going to leave immediately uh, and i'm sure that they'll do that for youtube but even getting a start on doing something like youtube the money you would need mm-hmm. and the only group that would realistically fund something like that is probably google because they're one of the few ones that could afford it and they're never going to do it Right. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Apple would want to invest in something like that one day, but I don't think they're interested in that. See, this is why, like, in the quote-unquote real world, so non in terms of non-digital businesses, you know, this is why we have anti-monopoly uh, laws. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't work on something like this. You know, like, you can't, like, yeah, creating not a web business, but a website that's a platform for for something else. You know, usually you have like the a few startups that start around the same time because ideas tend to happen at the same time, and then one of them becomes the big one, and that's just how it works on the internet. Mm-hmm. Because being a platform is expensive. There's servers, and you have to be the one to invent like the programming for it. You know, so you have to be a coder who literally came up with it. And it's not like like anti-monopoly laws. Like I don't even know how how it would apply, right? At most. So, for example, here in Canada, uh, we have the Canadian Radio Television Commission, which governs our telecom, you know, oversees and regulates the telecom industry. And one of the rules that it enforces is that the internet providers, so our big cable companies, and you know, um, have to have a certain amount of their infrastructure available to resellers, um, so that there is competition in the market. Because we're such a, like, so Canada is a really weird market because of a small population, but a big space. So on the internet, like, could you create a law that said, well, 
you know, companies, big companies that own servers have to make certain amount of their servers available for smaller companies so they would be able to have service space. Like maybe one day there'll be something like that. It's also complicated by the fact that if the servers are located on another continent, who has jurisdiction? <laughs> Until we have a concrete law that says where your headquarters are, like those are the the laws you follow regardless of where the server is, you know, that's, and, and they're trying to slowly figure that out. It's the same kind of laws that govern, you know, Amazon and sales tax and these kind of questions. And maybe in a hundred years, I'm sure we'll get somewhere with it. <laughs> it's weird to think that after all this time, you know, as content creators and users, we still exist kind of in a bit of a legal wild west, but we still do. Like it's going to take mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. Well, the internet keeps finding wild west to span too. There's no Pacific Ocean that'll stop them, so that was a very American-centric statement to make, but it's, okay. where, it's, it's where we are. <laughs> I started the wildness metaphor, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. So, did we want to maybe talk about a few of our favorite YouTube content channels? The non-cesspool content, yes, Right, so I spent my morning watching several episodes of Edgar Allan Poe's Murder Mystery Dinner Gathering for Friends and also Potluck. Which was adorable. So good. And the conceit is that Edgar Allan Poe, along with his resident ghost, Lenore, has invited... Charlotte Bronte and Emily Dickinson, although everyone keeps forgetting that Emily is even there. Louisa May Alcott. George uh, Eliot. George Eliot. <laughs> I'm totally a bro. Dostoevsky, I think, is the Russian one. Yep. Uh, Dostoevsky, H.G. Wells, Oscar Wilde, uh, Ernest Hemingway, and Agatha Christie, but she's running late. And, um, Annabelle Lee over for a murder mystery dinner party. Only, as always happens, whenever you have a murder mystery dinner party, people start actually, like, really getting murdered. Which is why I don't understand why people keep having these parties. Because you're going to run out of friends. Because they're all going to get murdered. That's how that works. Right? Mm didn't sound like you really agreed with me but well i don't know. i i, I kind of parties you've been to yeah i don't know kind of what it was, no no total totally like that's how that's just how that works that's, that's just science and uh included in the actors for this are ashley clements and mary Kay wiles who you should remember from the lizzie bennett diaries and i know that um laura something who played Jane in the Little Diary shows up as Jane Austen. Yes, and uh, I, I really like Ashley Clemens. Uh, Emily Bronte? Or Char- which Bronte is she? She's Charlotte. She's Charlotte. It's really... Laura Spencer. Laura Spencer, yes. Yeah, Ashley Clemens is very good, and I would love for her to get a career off YouTube, but if she's happy where she is, then yay. grow up and get a real job but what i thought was really kind of interesting about this is it's it's filmed in an actual house with sets and it's not just two people pretending to vlog in front of a camera 
and doing a scripted vlog. It's it's an actual like scripted show, oh. which I thought I mean, it just made it another step into the the world of of YouTube drama. And I don't mean I mean like dramatic portrayals, not like drama, mm-hmm. which is a di- which we already talked about the YouTube drama. <laughs> I also had a weird little intersection of various sections of YouTube coming together when I watched this back when it originally aired. I don't even know how I found it. It might have been for, through like Ashley Clemens' tweets that got linked to me somehow because I did watch those Benadarius. So I was really excited for the show. And in one of the later episodes when they have police constables, one of the constables is played by Jimmy Wong. Jimmy Wong is a name familiar to anybody uh, in the Magic the Gathering community because he's one of the big content creators, including being a YouTube content creator for Magic the Gathering content. Now, this is not it's more of like a podcast type where he runs the Command Tower podcast. It was really weird. And I guess I kind of knew that he was also like he, he he's like acting with something he did. It was really weird seeing him. It was really weird watching like somebody I know from YouTube from like their non-scripted podcast appearing as an actor in a scripted YouTube show. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the other police constable is played by Jim O'Hare from Parks and Rec. He played Jerry. Or maybe it was Gary. Larry? That was the one thing in Parks and Rec I didn't like was how mean they were to him. Um, and man, Chris Pratt has made rewatching that show hard. Anyway, <laughs> so yeah, it's a lot of fun, and Lenore is the best. Yeah, Sachin Lenore was just like the best choice. <laughs> the absolute best. I believe, if I remember correctly, that the actors who play Lenore and Edgar Allan Poe are actually husband and wife. Yeah, and they're the the creators and the producers of it. Right, right. They are the the, the team behind it. So, yeah. So I like that. It it's been I I don't know if people have heard we're recording this on Sunday August twentieth. I don't know if people have heard, but the past week in the United States was a little crazy, and so my energy for watching lots of YouTube was like gone. It's been a week. <laughs> <laughs> to quote John Lovett on Love It or Leave It, what a week. <laughs> it's been, it's been, so it's been, it's just I, bad. I've seen all days of the week in that 30 Rock meme of, what a week, Lemon, it's Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> yeah. Was it Wednesday originally in the original quote? I think it was Wednesday. It was Wednesday. Yeah. yeah. The TV show House had a really good one for that, where he asks for something, you know, crazy again f- from Cuddy, and she goes, "Are are you high?" And, and he goes, "It's Tuesday. I'm drunk." She goes, "It's Wednesday." <laughs> <laughs> Any popular science type stuff? Because my husband loves Brave Wilderness with Coyote Peterson. I that cannot be that man's real name. I refuse. I refuse to believe that he his actual birth name is Coyote Peterson. And he has a wilderness, like, wild, you know, animal, pop culture, pop science kind of channel on YouTube. I mean, I hope that's his real name. It's not. Yeah. Sorry. 
His name is Nathaniel. Aw. Man, I'm disappointed now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I knew it was too good to be true. Yes. Uh, but yeah, Brave Wilderness. My husband loves it. Um, Carrie Pearson is, you know, pretty entertaining. They're, um, so he's he's the type of guy who'll go out there and, like, get bitten by ants, which can kill you when they bite you, just because to show you, look how much I'm bleeding, because I got bit by this ant. Isn't this the coolest? He's going to touch all the spiders and 40 toads and... There's one video I love where they get to play with, like, a little... I think she's a clouded leopard that lives in a jungle and, like, she lives close enough to uh, a path so she sees humans a lot so she'll come out and play sometimes. It's just super cute. See, that sounds, like, cute and educational and, like, more interesting than most of the things that I watch. (laughs) Like, I really like... Assuming I'm, we're talking about things that are made for YouTube and not just like things that people have put up on YouTube for convenience, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really like watching things that like people being really nerdy and really specific about very niche things. So I like watching videos about Disneyland by people who just know shit tons about Disneyland <laughs> or like the history of theme parks or abandoned buildings is also a really good one. Like, here is just some guy's house that's been empty for 40 years. We're going to rake around it for a bit. But see, this is what's so great. This would never have been a TV show. You know, like, maybe when we had podcasts, it would like uh, it could have been a podcast. But, like, you can't mount a TV production for something so niche. But you will find a YouTube channel for it. Well, that's the thing is, as well, is it doesn't have to be a TV show length. Like, a lot of this stuff is, like, 10 minutes long, which is a good length for that. Uh, another one I really like is a show called Binging with Babish, because I like cooking shows in general, partly because I'm not a very good cook myself. Um, but this show is basically a guy who cooks food and drink from different things of pop culture, movies, TV shows, video games, that kind of thing. And there are a lot of people who do that on YouTube, but his show is so impeccably produced and is, you know, it's someone who can actually cook, which is really nice. So he's made things like how to make like the pancakes and coffee from Twin Peaks or how to make the chocolate cake from Matilda or like food from Game of Thrones, the ribs from House of Cards, that kind of thing. Uh, If you were looking for a really fun one to start with, uh, look for when he makes Eggs Woodhouse from Archer, which is poached eggs with hollandaise and uh, bechamel and caviar and, you know, ham and basically costs hundreds of dollars to make and he's making it and feeling very guilty the entire time <laughs> like that's the thing is as well as i now expect more from youtube like i know people who find the the spontaneity of i'm just walking around with my camera and we don't know what's going to happen today really charming i don't like edit your shit please but don't do like the weird youtube edit jump cut that everyone does but you don't need to edit every four or five seconds it's okay mm-hmm. J- just tighten it up a little bit so that's why I have very little patience for most like vloggers. Who like can someone explain the whole like haul thing to me where she's like, I've just gone to the shop today and I'm gonna to spend fifteen minutes showing you the things that I bought. Like why? I was I, hoping I, you could explain that to the me. The YouTube haul. I don't get it. Some okay, when they're ASMR I guess I'll t- I wanted to talk a little bit about like the YouTube ASMR community. Like some of them are ASMR videos, I know, although some of them aren't. Like ASMR can be made out of anything. So yeah. I get that. But the ones who are seriously just like, here's my... Is it like living vicariously? You'd love to do some shopping, but you just don't have the money. Or, you know, you're a little kid who likes to imagine that this is what glamorous adult life is like. 
maybe. Because this used to be, like, when I did do, I watched a little bit of BookTube. I find BookTube generally quite insufferable as someone who used to be a book blogger. Like, I don't want to have to hear you people talk. But it was also, it was just, to me, it felt excessive. Like, there was one uh, book blogger who was insufferable and really infantilizing and did nothing but read young adult novels even before she was about 29. But, like, every video she did was just, here are all the books that I got for free because they're advanced reader copies. And then she doesn't review any of them. She's just showing off the fact that she has often multiple copies of the same book. Which, to me, that's just that's just narcissism. Mm. But, like, is there an appeal in that? Just the idea of owning things? Maybe if you don't have a lot of things, that is something that's very appealing to you. But they're not getting any enjoyment out of them. Mm-hmm. They don't seem to be reading the books or using the makeup or wearing the clothes or any of that stuff. So, you know. So they buy a bunch of things and they're like, look at what I bought. And then they go return it. Are they just using the same $100 over and over and over again? I wonder how much of it is actually sponsorship that they haven't. Um, Literally bought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they haven't disclosed it. They seem to be trying to, they, by they, I mean, like, vloggers, essentially. I do see some, almost like self-policing, like, because whenever a community establishes like that, right, and they're competing for subscribers, one of the ways to try to compete is uh, essentially to, to have a stand, whatever, like, set a standard and say, I achieve it. So that's why I think, there's no actual law that says, I don't, think i may be wrong that says youtubers have to say like this was given to me like this is promoted you know i was given this to introduce to you <laughs> but they've started doing it and it now it's like a badge of, like if you're a proper like cor- if you do vlogging correctly then you're not gonna fool your viewers you're always gonna tell them that something sponsored or something was given to you i know that there was an fcc regulation some x number of years ago less than five where you were supposed you're supposed to disclose when you got something for free for a review which is why you see all of these book reviews that say i got this as an advanced reader copy in exchange for an honest review Mm -hmm. which is like the most annoying phrase ever like of course of course i'm assuming that your review is honest (laughs) I mean, I get I, that just because, as someone who has also been in the book, you know, blogging community, you know, it can be really tense and hostile and not like that that bullshit vulture article said. But you know, yeah. you want to cover your bases uh, because that line between you know this person being an offer and this person being your friend is really thin because they're a friend. They're you know there are offers that I'm friends with yeah. where I have worried about you know if I read their book and I even just tweet about it, does that you know? make an impact yeah. like, I mean, just that's, me, like blowing that's up my own horn that, there that we've discussed and like there are authors that i feel like like caroline linden i love her she has also dropped beer off on my porch so i won't review her books anymore i i'm perfectly happy to say like i'm currently reading it um this is something i'm looking forward to but an actual review no. And there are other authors that I became friends with them and then I read their books and I won't review them either. But there are also authors that I am friendly with that have not have not crossed the line of you you gave me alcohol. Like I feel like that's that's a good line. That seems like a good one. So so, so if I ever yeah. write a romance book you won't review it? No. 
that means we're true friends. I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have I drunkenly said to you both, you're two of my best friends? Well, we didn't want to say that out loud because we didn't feel like that would be fair to you. But yeah, we get it a lot, guys. It's, it's really fun. <laughs> it's lovely. It's lovely. Here's the thing about vloggers. I didn't really get you know, watching vloggers until recently. Like, I mean, I understand that they existed. It just wasn't something I understood the enjoyment of. And then I accidentally stumbled into one. There's, <laughs> there's this probably best known as the Corgi guy. His name is Ryan. The channel is called Vlog After College. But he, he's those the Corgi guy because he has a Corgi. And a while ago, he put together a video of his, like, um, a year in life, like puppyhood to being grown up. And that video got really blown up. And it was like, it, it was one of those homepage suggested. And I was like, oh, cute Corgi. Like, I'll, okay, fine, I'll watch it. And then, so then I followed it to his actual channel. And I believe really that's the video that led to the explosion of his channel. Like, this is his livelihood now. And all it is is just his, like, daily life vlog. Mm-hmm. And I've no, but I've been watching for about a year. And I've definitely noticed like an evolution to a, a for like a more and more stable format. I think as he got more viewers, he re- he realized like you know he he wanted to do this, and you see the effort put in. It's like Keely said, like you know tighten it up and edit it. Like he he puts in a lot of effort. So and it evolved from being a daily vlog of like he 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 goes to the gym every day. Um, he likes to cook, so he'll find something fun to cook, and maybe he'll play like a video game or review like a movie he's seen. And oh, and also he has um. He's pretty into his um, uh, like exotic uh, coral reef aquarium, so you know it's pretty fun. Like the fish are pretty, the re- like he takes care of it. So so those those are fun, and, and the corgi's always there. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what it is I liked about the guy. Like he's really friendly, upbeat. Like the corgi's cute, and but he's found now his niche. So he'll pick either like a BuzzFeed recipe or like an ingredient that he'll do both uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner off. So the cooking has become the way the video is broken apart. And then there'll be like a trip to the gym, which is, it's only a minute, but like, you know, he likes to show it and, you know, some daily activity, like he'll take the Corgi out for a hike and he start and he's really spun it off. He started a merchandising shop uh, for, he calls it Corgi on fleek. He made an entire calendar that he sold out, like, uh, of uh, Gatsby. The, the Corgi's name is Gatsby. It's, it's very yeah, adorable. Of course it is. And, and once he showed, like, his behind the scenes where he says, well, I'll pick the thumbnail that I think will work best. I'll look at YouTube trends for the title of the video and make sure that the title is something that's going to get in there. Like, he's, he, like, this is his job now, so he wants to make sure it continues being both professional and, and profitable to him. And he puts in a lot of work to like the actual editing and, and like putting all the minutia of actually making a YouTube video if you want to be a life logger. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, like, <laughs> I continue to watch, I guess, mostly for the corgi, but also the cooking stuff is kind of fun. Like, I don't know, looks nice and looks delicious. Makes me kind of want to cook, but not really because I don't. I keep on hoping they'll inspire my husband because he's the cook of the family. <laughs> <laughs> is he listening? No, he's at work. Oh, well. But yeah, so uh, I'll link to that vlogger, it's, and it's interesting. Like I, I never would have thought of myself as somebody who'd be interested in watching just like a life vlogger. But sometimes you stumble on one. It's just like what what is it about this guy's life that like I'm so invested in seeing? But like it's only like 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. He lives in California, so it's always sunny. 
The wet is always nice. The corgi's always cute. Like, there's that. Yeah. But that's one of the interesting things as well about YouTube is it's still really hard for a lot of people to see it as work. Yeah. And, like, even the shittest YouTube stars, like the big ones, have to put the hours in. You know, it is an intense amount of labor, but it's, you know, the same with, like, you know, like, writing, I guess, if I want to use an example that I actually have, I'm familiar with. The amount of people who think that you just, you know... Crap out crap some out, words. Crap out some words and then put them online and you're like, God, I'm a genius. The money will roll in now. Yeah. You know? The, I mean, people with writers, people either think that you're, like, you know, a neckbeard basement dweller just hammering around in your, you know, your uh, your parents' house, which mm-hmm. I was for a while, but it wasn't in the basement. It was in my bedroom. Or they think that you're, like, Dorothy Parker with all your friends around the Algonquin round table smoking and drinking martinis and coming up with fabulous one-liners that will kill people's careers. That would be amazing. That would be so good. But no. <laughs> so that's one of the reasons I really like it when you can see the the professional work in the videos. So there's another channel I like called Cocktail Chemistry, which is, as you can imagine, it's a, it's a guy, he's a bartender who makes cocktails. And he made one of my favorites, which was uh, he makes uh, like some, some of the cocktails that they drink on The Simpsons. So he, he makes a flaming mo. <laughs> uh, and then he made... Um, What's the other one he made? Oh, there's an episode called The Forget Me Shot, which is like an amnesiac cocktail, which he also made and made stuff from Twin Peaks and things. Like, I love that intersection of food, alcohol, and pop culture. Mm-hmm. And it's also something I could never do. Right. Like, I, I, I can't mix cocktails. I pay other people to mix my cocktails. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So I love watching stuff like that. I really like uh, really good pop culture video essays. Mm-hmm. So I really like Lindsay Ellis, I like Dan Olson. Um, stuff where there, someone has a really specific point of view and puts the research in. Because mm-hmm. I've generally found most of the like YouTube critical community in that aspect of like actually just wanting to sit down and hear people seriously talk about a movie is a little harder to find. There's a lot of people like yelling at the camera. That's another thing about YouTube. I thought it was just me. I was like, is my computer turned up or something? No, you're no, just there's, yelling very loudly. There's a lot more yelling, and there's, like, um, what is it, CinemaSins? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I, I watched a friend of mine who writes for Uproxx go off on a Twitter tear about how much he hates CinemaSins. <laughs> I mean, he's like, you know, when you when this guy started, and it was like five minutes of actual sins, and now you're just like going on and on and on and on and on for 18 minutes about stuff that's not actually a thing like edit yourself dude and shut the fuck up and the last time i watched one i was like this is not a sin this is just a thing that annoyed you which is a very different thing oh yeah i mean so recently um as of recording this episode last week the director jordan vote roberts who directed kong skull island 
launched, like, went off on Cinema Sins and basically said what every critic has already said, but people listen to him more. And he said that they were, like, the critical um, equivalent of the Friedberg and Seltzer movies, <laughs> like, which is totally true. So, and I made a, I, I thought was a very succinct tweet that I thought Cinema Sins was absolute garbage and they didn't know what satire was. They were just really shitty at their jobs. And the amount of people I got who were like, oh, that's the point. It's supposed to be satirical of you stupid critics. You just don't get it. And it's like... Okay, first of all, there is already great satire out there about film criticism. It's called The Critic. It lasted like two seasons in the 90s. It was a guest episode of The Simpsons. Watch it. It's really funny. Second of all, satire has a point. There's a, you know, there's a purpose to satire. You don't just say something and then say it's satire just because you don't know how else to define it because there's absolutely no thought behind it. Tina face. <laughs> but something like one of the comments... Like that I got was oh, but he's satirizing sexism by making sexist comments. And it's like no, one of the sins that's being eleven-year-old not... Emma Watson is too young to be hot. That's not a sin, and that's not a criticism Ew. of a thing that does exist. Which is there are a lot of critics out there who are sexist douchebags, but that's not criticizing sexism by replicating it. That's not how it works. You know, like, there's no, there's very few good representations of criticism in pop culture. Like, every critic you'll see in a film or a TV show will usually be really depressed, really lonely, no one likes them, and they're only a critic because they were either not good at anything else, or they're a failed creative who never made it big, and now they're vindictive and don't want anyone to succeed as a result. Mm-hmm. And that's basically all you get. Uh, the only different one I can think of is Michael Fassbender in Inglorious Bastards, who everyone forgets his character is a film critic. Mm-hmm. But like, that's the only one. So it's stuff like that that should be, you know, I, I'm not saying that like critics are, you know, poor or repressed or anything, or you know, but when you're doing a satire of criticism in an atmosphere where that's the only thing that people think about criticism, maybe you should. You're just really bad at your job. Right. Actually, also, I can think of one. Lady in the Water, remember? Oh, oh God. That was right. Okay, we were all that. trying to pretend that movie never happened. Oh, yeah, thanks. <laughs> but also, it's kind of like, oh, we want to satirize film critics that's like plays about theater people. It's just a circle jerk. I mean, there are most certain of your audience doesn't stuff. care. Yeah, most of them don't care. Um, but like for every chorus line, there's half a hundred terrible plays. That's like this is theater about theater people, and the only people who get it or care about it are other theater people. For every chorus line, there's a smash. Oh, smash! So that's one of the things that I do think is sad about YouTube is I would like to see more like really good film criticism and there are great video essayists on there there are good critics but they're so outnumbered by just people screaming at you about Marvel and I don't really care like I know that you didn't like Ghostbusters and I know that you think it's because it's not because you're sexist but like, like, I don't want to have this discussion again We had this discussion We all <laughs> <laughs> It does keep coming up for some reason. I can't imagine why. Weird how that works. <laughs> so, there are, like, 
the good ones are like Lindsay Ellis is really wonderful. She did a video a couple months ago, which is now all too relevant, where she talks about the idea of people who think that they're satirizing Nazism by telling jokes about the people the Nazis killed and then try to use Mel Brooks as their defense. <laughs> and she does a glorious like 45 minute takedown on, no, here is why Mel Brooks makes those jokes and here is why he is good at them and here's why you suck. Mm-hmm. And it's a great video and you should all watch it. Mm-hmm. There, <laughs> do you want to talk um, about, like since we've segued into Lindsay Ellis, Lindsay Ellis and other reviewers? that we still watch on YouTube and maybe contribute to Patreon of. I really don't watch that many. Um, but it depends on the topic, really, you know. Like, I don't like Transformers, but I am really enjoying Lindsay Ellis's The Whole Plate. A brief history of film studies through the eyes of Michael Bay's Transformers movies. Oh, God. It's great, oh, it's but it's amazing. just, oh. It's <laughs> she's, um, her most recent video is a feminist theory using Transformers. Hmm. Which is great. Essentially, she she uses Transformers as a plateau to talk about all the various, like, academic film study schools of theory. Hmm. So there was also theory. Yeah. yeah. This is what cultural Marxism is, but I'm going to use Transformers to explain it. That kind of thing. Yeah. That's pretty great. Okay. Helicopters. I don't really watch film critics on YouTube. I prefer. I'm old. I like to read my film criticism. Well, this was another thing that came up because of the number of sites who said, you know what, we're going to be laying off a lot of our writers because we're going to be pivoting to video. Please don't. Please don't. Please don't. Not just because I want to keep my film writer friends employed, um, but also because, like, if I'm looking at your site at work, for example, I can't watch video... Because I'm at work, and I probably should be, you know, doing work, but I'm not. And yeah, like, don't stop. Writers are good. That's my argument. Yeah, I, I did write about this as well because originally it was MTV News totally gutted out their their wonderful political and cultural writers because they were pivoting to video. Uh, Fox Sports did it. Mike just recently did it. A couple other places have done it. We keep hearing threats from other places as well. Okay, first of all, you still need people to write the videos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about advertising. It has nothing to do with, you know, a new strategy. It's basically you can make more money off of video ads, even if it's auto-played for only like three seconds. It still technically counts as a view. Yeah. But there are some sites I just don't go to anymore because it has auto-play on all the videos. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I can't visit CNN's website anymore. Mm-mm. I just want to read an article without a video of fucking Trump popping up on my page. Exactly. I already listen to music on other sites while I'm reading things. I don't need to listen to your crap. Mm-hmm. So that is very disheartening as well as someone who writes and also writes quite long stuff. Like, I, I seldom write anything shorter than, like, 1,200 words. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people like that. You know, people, I think, appreciate having something to read. We have the numbers to prove people do like to read. But most younger kids now, it's all through video. And you can make more money off of advertising through video as well, which is why they do it. God, capitalism is the fucking worst. Isn't it? But see, this is why I love Patreon. So I still support off the like channel awesome, I guess, ones is uh, I Lindsay Ellis, Todd in the Shadows, and Kyle Colgren, the Browse Hold High. Oh, I yeah. like Kyle. Yeah. 
Um, and also I, I have Jilbera, uh, Stuff You Like, and SF Debris, who's moved off YouTube but started there as his Star Trek reviews. But my favorite thing about Patreon, um, and I think I know my husband contributes to Jim Sterling, who, who is still on YouTube, is, for example, a few months ago, there was a whole thing with YouTube changing how it charges for ads and whatnot. And um, Todd from Todd in the Shadows did this whole post about about it. And then he said, and bottom line is, I don't have to care because I have you guys. And thank you so much. But here's the thing. Yeah, Todd could be working a minimum wage job or even a, like a, a above minimum wage one somewhere. And just doing this like on the side or like if he had time on the weekends and maybe not at all. But like who would that benefit necessarily? Because... I want his content and I'm willing to pay for it. And I like, you know, like he's created this job for himself and he can support it. Like that's just better to me. Mm-hmm. You know, s- someone else who, who needs that, that other, whatever that other job could have been and who like, not all of us are like <laughs> creatively can create these things. Like some of us want to work just the regular jobs and they can have that and he can make a living doing this. And I think that it's just, that's just a better way. <laughs> For society to be, <laughs> for us to live, <laughs> right? So yeah, like a TV show has to broadcast, has to have certain audience numbers because then the advertisers have to pay for it. But like between YouTube and Patreon, you can actually just directly say, "I am willing to pay, you know, a dollar, two dollars for this video to mm-hmm. have this, uh, to fund this creation." And yeah, and I've seen a number of authors and creators on Twitter talking about. Like, you know, people worry that their $1 a month Patreon contribution seems chintzy. And they're like, no, that is exactly, if we have a bunch, we know that the $1 a month contributors are probably going to continue. And as opposed to $100 a month, we know that we can't necessarily count on that. Right. So if we have, like... A hundred one dollar a month contributors, we f- can feel pretty secure that for a while at least we'll we can count on that hundred dollars a month, and that makes creating our art a lot better. So, thank you. You're not cheapskates. <laughs> Nobody thinks that. <laughs> but even like getting off of YouTube, look at who's using Patreon now. N.K. Jemison, who just won another Hugo Award, has a Patreon page. Mm-hmm. Um, Catherine Valenti, who's another Hugo winner, has a Patreon page. Shana McGuire. Shana McGuire just won another one, and I, she has a Patreon too. I can. We just segue for a minute. I'm so happy for Shannon. Is that's this is her first Hugo for writing. Her other two were for her podcast. And she, when the nominations came out, she described this novella as being the novella that is her art. Oh. (laughs) Not only that, because she's awesome, she didn't go to Helsinki because lots of money. And also her cat uh, has cancer, so she was at Disneyland in line for a ride <laughs> when she was told she'd won a Hugo. That's awesome. <laughs> and the joke was, what are you going to do now? You're already at Disneyland. <laughs> I 
only days, I think, before that, she had a tweet where she was, like, talking about her mom and her mom being like, have you won a Hugo yet? No? Then get back to work. <laughs> and now she could be totally like, yes, mom, I won Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I can take a day off. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah Patreon's great for that. I mean. Yeah. yeah. And especially if you're a writer, I mean, I think everyone still has the idea that every writer is re- raking in the, you know, the Stephen King money. And it's like, actually, most of them are living below the breadline and actually have still work full time jobs. And even then they struggle to pay bills and, you know, throw them a few dollars. Yeah. And in the U.S., at least, the Affordable Care Act made it possible for a lot of people to quit their day jobs because they were able to get health insurance. <sighs> Someday, someday, listeners, this podcast will not be American politics is a shit show and a shit stain all the time, but it is not this day. (laughs) And I'm sorry about that, but not enough to stop that. It's it's been a week, you guys. (laughs) So... I don't have a segue, but there is something I brought up early and I said I'd go back to, and I can talk for a bit while <laughs> Raiden and Kaylee can compose a little bit. And <laughs> earlier I brought up a, a, a segment of YouTube called the ASMR video community. Mm-hmm. I don't know like how well known it is really, so I guess I'll do like an intro. Uh, hopefully it won't bore a lot of our um, listeners. ASMR stands for um, Autosensory Meridian Response. The science on it is um, inconclusive, but that it happens to the people that it happens to, like myself, is a fact. Uh, Essentially, it is a phenomenon where if I watch people performing certain actions or listen to certain sounds, uh, it evokes a pleasant tingling sensation and, like, it helps me relax, even fall asleep. So, apparently, quite a few people do experience this. Some don't. I asked my husband once, and he was, he looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> but I've actually have had it since I was a kid, and I didn't <laughs> know that this... I guess honestly, I assume that probably everybody has it, but I didn't know that it was a thing that people could, like, consciously try to provoke. Uh, and then YouTube and videos happen, and people create what they call ASMR videos. So often it's particular sounds videos, sometimes it's action. You see it in either, like, a very low voice or whispering... The worst thing about it being on YouTube is that the videos that do have ads, you'll have the ad playing at, like, full volume while you'll try to watch a whisper ASMR video. It is the worst. Like, this is the one video where I feel like advertisers should know that if somebody, like, knocks me out of my ASMR with a loud video, I will, like, avoid your product like the plague. (laughs) It is the (laughs) anti-advertisement. Yeah, like, it sprung up a pretty big community. I watched um, one uh, one of these vlog ASMR vloggers who is who does them in English, but she's actually also Russian, and she's done a few in Russian. Um, she just reached, like, a million subscribers, which I know in the big scheme of things on YouTube isn't much, but within small communities, a million is a pretty big deal. Like, YouTube will send you your buttons at, like, what, quarter at 100,000 a quarter million. Mm-hmm. So, so a million is still there. They're all pretty well tagged in the in the titles. Like you'll just just go, just YouTube search for ASMR and you'll find a bajillion in them. Uh, it, it it's a really weird way in which this community that experiences a thing that apparently not every human does comes together. 
The weird thing is, is that I get the feeling and I hate it. <laughs> I hate I it, it so much. I do not it get it. It <laughs> makes my teeth feel prickly. I swear, because I've always liked it as a kid. Like, I've gotten it from Sense 2 or just like, and I've, and I've tried to replicate it. You know, one of the first things that actually, like, stably did it for me every time. This is going to sound really weird. There's a moment in The Breakfast Club, yes, the movie, when Claire is putting the makeup on Ali Sheedy's character, whatever her name was. Uh, I can't remember the top of my head. On the other, like, Claire's putting the makeup on her and it, like, close up of the eye and, like, the eyeliner and things, because this is one of those minute, precise actions. It triggers me every time. <sighs> I, I just, I don't like the sounds. It's just, like, <laughs> Note itself, do not tap at Raiden. (laughs) And I've never really heard anybody else say, yeah, I I know the feeling and I hate it. It's either special. (laughs) Finally, finally. Either that or or we're going to spark the ASMR backlash. In which case, I'm sorry, because it's not that hard to to avoid it. (laughs) So I kind of hope that we don't. But I also really hate the feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, one of the... This is like a really minor segue, but who else has actually found new songs they haven't heard before but ended up liking but just by clicking the YouTube mix button after watching a music video? Never. I have. So YouTube mix button? Yeah, so when you watch a song on YouTube... Unless I just pay attention to YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) When you watch a a song... uh, Oh, actually, no, sorry. It's for any any video, but I use it for music. When you watch a video on YouTube, one of the, like... It's got all those, like, related videos on the side, but one of them says YouTube Mix. What it is is uh, YouTube will take this video and on its basis automatically create a playlist for you. So if you do it on a music video, it'll create a playlist of music that it thinks kind of maybe thematically, maybe it'll be some of the same artists and related artists or not. And I've actually done it and found songs I haven't heard of that I liked. Huh. Right. Maybe not all algorithms are bad. No, they are. (laughs) (laughs) I should say, like, I like to listen to music by... Like, I like to find a song and just listen to it over and over again until I get bored of it and then not listen to it again for about another year. Yeah. That is how I like to yeah. listen to music. So all of this, like, playlist nonsense is is just wrong to me. <laughs> what about lo-fi radio? That's something my husband's gotten into recently. What? It's lo-fi hip-hop, which is a genre... I, th- I guess it's it's classified as a genre, but the YouTube radio station essentially they'll they'll have like a collection of songs and they'll have a because YouTube can live stream, so rather than being a video, it's a live stream that just like goes on continuously. There's no DJs or anything; it's just somebody like made a playlist that's large enough to not be too repetitive, and streams it. But I feel this. Can a genre be indie? I don't know if it is. And I don't like, you know, I don't know enough about, enough about music. So if somebody's like pissed off at me and screaming, like, no, it's a whole thing. Like, I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, it's called lo-fi hip hop. It's very, it's not like hip hop, like we think of hip hop or, or it, <laughs> it's very laid back. I think that's the most lo-fi I think is any type of music that tries to recreate um, audio like low quality audio, like when you used to have records. And this one tends to be very 
like chill and mumbly and laid back and it's just it's it's very it's background noise it's very background noise type music you can find anything on youtube what can i say literally everything (laughs) yeah okay sure do we do we want to mention youtube red and how they named themselves youtube red as if red tube isn't a thing and like could somebody have told somebody else in that marketing meeting that maybe youtube red was not the best choice for a name the fuck are you talking about youtube red the subscription i know about youtube red but all of the other things i don't know what you're talking about i'm pretty sure red tube is a porn version of youtube i thought that was x tube no i'm pretty sure there's red tube okay yep no red tube is, is a porn streaming site so when okay. YouTube Red came out and named themselves YouTube Red, some people were like, hmm, might mm-hmm. regret that. <laughs> does any, does, I don't think any of us subscribe. No. I almost wanted to try it for like a month or whatever the free trial is just for um, just for this episode. Mm-hmm. I don't actually know what to, except for BuzzFeed's The Try Guys, their side sh- news show Squad Wars. Uh, wasn't there... Uh thing that Harry Shum Jr. was doing? Some sort of rom-com thingy? Oh, you mean having an actual career? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, other than Shadowhunters. I can't believe that's still going. (laughs) I I know, I know. So is the fucking Sherilyn Kenyon lawsuit. Oh, good. I was kind of wondering. That's so weird. It's like, I don't remember when that lawsuit started, but I don't think it ever... It's just a thing that exists in the book YA universe. Right? Like, that lawsuit is just there. But it's with, it gives us peace, okay? Yeah. Very shocked, Junior. Does anybody else watch the Trigus? Here's the thing. I know BuzzFeed is not necessarily popular. In my social sphere, but I, I have followed down BuzzFeed video polls of just like hours and hours. Single by thirty. That's the the YouTube red thing that was Harry Shum Jr. and Keena Granis about two people who made a promise to get married if they were still single age. Oh, I remember I watched like the free episode that was up. Yeah. Yeah. So here's the thing. Here's how you tell. By the way, it's you don't have to go to a separate website. It's just you're on YouTube and suddenly the video, like one of those movies that you can now buy to rent because it's Google. So it's with Google Play's library. There's like a little dollar symbol and like how many dollars you can pay to view it. But you can have a monthly subscription. I actually know how much it is. But I believe one of the things that it's not just for the the shows, I believe it also makes regular YouTube ad free for you. Hmm. I think I, like, I'm pretty sure I'm not hundred percent. Somebody might correct me if you're in the comments and you care, but I'm pretty sure it makes regular YouTube ad free. Look, so. I've already hit peak TV. I don't need to hit peak streaming services. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, if my dad had a YouTube red account, I would probably use it and not pay for it, but I've already got Netflix for that. I'm okay. He said I could use it. It's fine. I didn't steal it from him. It's fine. It was his suggestion. All right. Hey, look, my former roommates still use my Netflix account, and I use their Hulu account, so. 
it that's works fair. Out. That's that's the bartering system right there. You know, like that's damn right, fun. damn right. Socialism is beautiful, isn't it? It's gorgeous. <laughs> but that's why is I'm curious to see how this kind of paid YouTube content works. Like, mm-hmm. isn't the whole appeal of YouTube that it's free? Like, I'm curious as to who's paying for it as well, because the average, like, the people who use YouTube really enthusiastically are kids. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand that BuzzFeed's huge, and Try Guys are really popular, so they've probably got some segment to subscribe. But again, like, I wonder if you're a producer that, you know, it's not for TV, you're from online streaming, where, what makes you choose to go to, like, YouTube Red instead of, say, just set up a Patreon and fund your production that way? Or even a Kickstarter, I guess, and then make your series and release it. I'm, I'm curious. I'm ima- I imagine YouTube cuts them a really good deal. Well, they would have to. Mm-hmm. I've gotten a glimpse of, like, the YouTube behind-the-scenes ecosystems when um, the Corgi guy that I was talking about earlier, he's actually filmed himself going to, like, the YouTube campus because he's, I guess, like, a fairly big enough, you know, YouTuber in terms of subscription numbers to get noticed from the company. I do, and it's just enough to be a glimpse. Like, I'm really curious what it is that YouTube does to, like, do they keep tabs on, like, once you hit a certain number of subscribers, do they reach out to you? Like, what do they do to keep you engaged with them, I guess? Because you were the one bringing in them the revenue numbers. Like, what do they offer you as services? I, I would love to know, like, how, how engaged they are behind the scenes. Because they're not really, they are content creators. YouTube is not the producer. But they almost, are, are they a little bit? Like, do they transition a little bit when the person becomes big enough? Hmm. It's, I, it's interesting. It'd be interesting to know. I think once you get to that level, it's just about the money, to be honest. And also, what can they give you that you can't get by going out on your own or going to a bigger company with bigger money and more established? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to be honest, most of the people who are making it really big on YouTube are probably going to go and transition back to traditional media. They can talk all they want about YouTube being the future, but they're all still going to get book deals and they're all still going to have their own lines of toiletries and they're all still going to try and do TV presenting gigs on MTV or whatever, you know? They're always going to go back to the old ways because it's it's much more reliable. I mean, eventually the YouTube bubble is probably going to burst, right? Or is it too big to fail, do you think? Nothing's too big to fail. I think 2008 proved that. True. Like, that's why I don't think Netflix is safe. <laughs> I mean, hello, nihilism. I, I don't know how I see that bubble burst up. Like, there's certain, like, are there people who just upload, not the ones who don't make money, who just, like, upload videos to an audience, uh, to a smaller audience, like, really niche ones, are they going to be affected? What about the ones that have a Patreon? Like, they all they need is a delivery platform, right? So... If a YouTube bubble bursts, what does that look like? Is it just like the million plus who are going to disappear? And how, you know, I'm not sure I know, I can envision what, what that would, how that would happen. Well, no one has presented a viable alternative to YouTube yet, so mm-hmm. really hard to imagine. I mean, the ones who are on Patreon, could they just go through, for example, Vimeo, or Vimeo, sorry, I don't know how to pronounce it. Or Vimeo, because, like, as long as you have, like, your Patreon notifications, right, you don't care where to click, you just, like, watch it from the Patreon embed, you don't care what you're actually clicking play on. Um, like I said, SF Debris, which is an, I mentioned him earlier, um, Jack Sonnenberg, Soderberg, uh, he started on YouTube uh, doing 
like snarky but full episode Star Trek reviews, and now he's just doing sci-fi in general. But he's got his own site, and as far as I can tell, just he's moved completely off YouTube. His own like video, whatever video player he's using. I mean, I don't think it's his own, but you know, he's embedding just on his own site with another video player, and he's got a page, and he's been able to move completely off. Like he doesn't need them anymore. I guess if you're big enough, you can do it. Is is my fine, is my point here? It depends how big you really are, though. I mean, YouTube fame. I think for the most part, unless you pretty much are in those people with fifteen million plus subscribers, that's a fragile ecosystem to be in. Mm-hmm. You know, you are like one scandal away from losing all of that, and not just the subscribers, but the support, the outside business deals, the you know, the merchandising, the sponsorship, the you know, the partnerships, getting famous people on your shows and things like that, you are fucked. If you're trying to make a living, right? If you're not just a person who's content to be... But we're now in this era where that's people's ambition. Mm-hmm. You know, there are whole kids that grow up and that's what they want to do, but not just kids. Like, you have people that are older than all of us who it's now their aim uh, to do this, and they do it for the shittiest means. I mean, how many times have you heard of some douche bro who does quote-unquote prank videos mm-hmm. God, who is that fucker who destroyed all of his girlfriend's makeup like that upset me oh that guy's also like a trump supporting right winger i'm just of saying. course he is of course he is yeah but it was like that was hundreds if not over a thousand dollars worth of makeup that he just completely destroyed and then was like baby i love you how about we go on a shopping spree? And she's like, some of this shit's limited edition, asshole. And I don't know if she broke up with him. Hope she did. I hope she did, because he's an abusive asshole. I don't think she did. That's the sad part. Oh, mm. oh well. Honey, you deserve better. But that's not even... A, what, what's the prank? Yeah. I, I'm emotionally abusing you, destroying your property. Yeah. But it's a prank! I, I, you know what? Like, she was just taking him to, like, small claims court or however much that was so he would pay. Because, like, it's essentially theft. Yeah. There's this weird, sometimes I see, oh, this is, like, launching off YouTube, but sometimes the complete disrespect towards, like, other people's property is seen as, oh, that's fine. Like, I don't think this item is, is worth anything. Therefore, I feel completely free to destroy it or do something with it even when it's not mine. Like, fuck off. Yeah. Like, don't. Don't do that. If it's not yours, don't touch it. It's something that my parents had to teach me and my sister. But they were able to. And we were children, and you're theoretically adults. So, YouTube is solved, people. YouTube is solved. Thank you, us. Yes. Or or as Jim Sterling says, thank God for me. I love Jim Sterling. Sterling. He's really funny. (laughs) There was... I saw someone post on I want to say Facebook that they were putting their toddler to bed and they realized they'd been letting their kid watch too many YouTube videos when the kid said please like and subscribe because they thought that's what goodbye what the proper oh. magical oh. formula for oh, goodbye God. oh god <laughs> that, well now I'm depressed <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) 
So, yeah. I don't know what to say about that, people. But... Please like us. Oh, God, please like us. We're desperate. Please. This is all we have left. How's that? Is that better than like and subscribe? <laughs> Although, if you could like leave us a review on iTunes, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Please, dear God, we beg you, please. <laughs> <laughs> a five-star review. A five dip. I don't know. <laughs> Alright, so we solved YouTube. We feel very old. Some of us older than others. Kaylee. How dare you. How dare you. <laughs> and we'll be back next month. Like, comment, and subscribe. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Anglofees, a made a fail production. You can reach us on Twitter at Anglofees. You can send an email to anglofees at gmail.com. If you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Thank you. You know, at some point, we've been going 50 minutes, at some point we have to have an episode. That's oh, true! Yeah. We should, shouldn't we? <laughs> 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 <laughs>